0: moment ago before we get to our message and maybe in part as an introduction to our message, I'll give you two quick housekeeping items. Uh, one that I'm guessing most of you that were out there didn't realize, but just speaks to uh, the professionalism, the ministry spirit, the quality of what the musicians, the choir, the orchestra, and uh, Greg up in the sound room did. Uh, this morning, I like just stuck an extra song in there, and uh, they rolled with it. And uh, I'm guessing, again, most of you out there didn't realize that, but we weren't supposed to sing Jesus Lives in Social. I I guess if you were looking in the bulletin, maybe you realized uh, it was in a draft that I prepped a couple weeks ago. And then as we went through revisions, I put that song out and stuck the choir in. And I got up on my notes and I went, let's sing Jesus Lives in Social. And then I sat down and went, it's supposed to be the choir well, Pastor Gingery handled that flawlessly, as did the choir, as did the orchestra, as did Greg up in the sound room, and uh, I thought, man, you probably wouldn't know, and I just point out, they did just a phenomenal job. Second little bit of housekeeping I shared with our church family on Wednesday night, um, and it leads us into our text for this evening, but I, I did not go back to look because I think it'd probably be embarrassing, uh, but we never finished Third John, and I've kind of known that and thought, well, we'll get back there we'll get back there and we'll get back there. And now that we're in 2023, we're going to get back there. Uh, So you can take your Bible and go to 3 John. Uh, Again, it's been a long time. I I remember there was a Sunday in December. I think it was December 18th uh, where we had, yeah, it was December 18th, the cantata, the 11th and then the 18th. I'm like, I could finish it either evening, but I really want to finish Ecclesiastes 7 so we can finish our cross-country trip. And so we finished Ecclesiastes 7 because we did that on two Sunday nights, which was a little unusual, and 3 John waited until now. Uh, So we're testing your memory a little bit and coming to a book that's probably been at least six weeks uh, since we were last here, Uh, but nonetheless, we'll dive in and see what God has for us this evening. So it's reviewing 3 John and then working on notes this week. I found my mind taken back, probably in a strange way. Uh, to my junior and senior year of high school sitting in English class and literature class. Uh, I had a teacher who uh, I enjoyed her class quite a bit. Um, However, I did not enjoy her book reports because when it came to book reports for this particular teacher's class, it just felt like they were hard. Uh, So, you know, in a normal book report, you read the book and then you write like a little bit of a summary But in her class, we would go through and we would have to write the book report with like character analysis. And the one that stands out to me the most that happened a couple times was comparing and contrasting characters. So in order to validate and prove, that you read the book with understanding. Let's just pick two characters from the book and say, here's how they're alike and here's how they're dissimilar. I mean, this one talks a lot and this one's quiet. This one's fearful and this one's courageous. This one's in a crowd, this one's all alone. This one over here, they're perceived to be good because of their position, but they're actually really bad, but you don't know that until you're three quarters of the way through. And this one is perceived to be bad, but they're actually, they really have a good heart and eventually they'll be vindicated and we're like, I'm trying to read the book, process it, and then be ready to write a multi-page paper to submit for book reports in that class. That came to mind because really as we work through 3 John, we could do a little bit of character analysis, and in fact, that's how we'll structure our outline for the last bit of the book this evening. Because inspired by the Spirit of God, John in 3 John tells us about three different individuals. And when you look at the three individuals, you realize they're not all alike. When you look at some, there's much to be commended, encouraged, praised. And then you can look at at least one other individual and say, this needs to be confronted, corrected, and condemned. Last time we were together in 3 John, we covered the first eight verses. Tonight, we're going to work our way down from verse 9 through the end of the book in verse 14. I want to reread the entirety of the book for us just so we kind of reorient ourselves and pick this back up. I'll review some of our notes from last time and then jump into the outline for the last part of the book. Starting in 3 John verse 1, we read, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth. Prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends My name. Again, as we read through the short book that's given to us here, this letter, really, we're introduced to three individuals. Really, the primary focus is on two of them. First, we're introduced to Gaius, whom we talked about last time, and then we spend a good amount of time talking about another man named Diotrephes, finally before getting to Demetrius at the end. And again, I'll just tell you up front right now, if I mix Diotrephes and Demetrius up, just bear with me because I kept typing it in my notes and I'd hit the backspace and go get that out of there. And I also realized, I think it was, I don't know if it was last week or the week before that I said that I met my in-laws in 2022 and everybody told me afterwards, yep, sorry about that. Um, and the multitude of words are wanteth not sin, right? Um, so if I get Demetrius and Diotrephes mixed up, just bear with me. Last time we were together we talked in 3 John, we talked particularly about Gaius and we looked at Gaius realizing first a commendation of selfless service, where Paul writes to this man and says, there's much to praise you for, there's much to commend you for, Uh, and he notes as he does that a prayerful request for this man, Gaius, particularly there in verse 2. He says, Gaius, I know you're doing well spiritually, but I want you to do well generally or broadly, and ultimately, I want you to do well physically just the way that your soul is prospering. I want you to prosper in life, and I want your health to do the same as well. And while giving that prayerful request or Paul's desire for Gaius, he then also gives a joyful report and says, Gaius, here's what I know to be true about you. And if we summarize it just in two thoughts to kind of remind us and maybe challenge us once more, he says, Gaius, I know two things. One, you walk in truth. And two, you act in love. All you have to do is scan what we read in Scripture from there in verse 1 to multiple times in verse 3 and verse 4. Uh, The word truth shows up over and over and over again. To go, Gaius, you're doing right in that you are conducting your life in the truth. You've believed what is right, and now you're seeking to live what is right. You walk in truth but it's not just some kind of dead belief system that's like, well, man, he is holding on to the right doctrine. He cares genuinely for people. He loves them, particularly the way that plays out in the text in his love is hospitably caring for people in need, particularly in their travels. He says, we know that when people come along who are in need of housing and lodging and food, that you support them. And in doing so, you are supporting the work of gospel ministry. He tells Gaius, and so he's able to give this man a commendation for his selfless service because yes, he's walking in truth, but he's acting in love. He's loving proactively and sacrificially, and also lovingly and reliably, or faithfully and reliably. He's like, I know that I can count on you. What uh, there in verse five? You do faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren. It's not like, well, you know, is Gaius going to show up this time? Um, He's like, I know. You're reliable in your love. John continues to say, and I I realize what you do there, end of verse 6 down through verse 8, involves advancing ministry. You're bringing them forward on their journey. It is serving the Lord. It's after a godly sorter. We talked about it as a manner worthy of God. It's doing well, supporting their needs, Verse 7, they they for his name's sake, they for God's sake, Christ's sake, went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles, but you're helping them, and so the truth is advanced there in verse 8. They're fellow helpers of the truth. It is against the backdrop of that commendation of Gaius, that commendation of his selfless service, his reliable, faithful, living in the truth and acting in love, that we're then introduced to the opposite. He's the foil, if you will, when we come to be introduced to diatrophies. And we move from a commendation of selfless service to what we'll see in verses nine and following tonight, a condemnation of selfish arrogance. A condemnation of selfish arrogance. We'll note uh, four uh, aspects. Of Diotrephes' uh, selfish arrogance. Number one, note with me as we come to verse 9, it's motivated by self exaltation. It's motivated by self exaltation. He says, I wrote unto the church, by Diotrephes who loveth to have preeminence among them. The idea of he's loving to have preeminence is in the present tense. It speaks of his ongoing manner, his consistent desire to be the center of attention. This is his habit. This is what he's known for. D. Edmund Heber describes preeminence as an ambitious, self-seeking, power-hungry individual. It's the kind of person we might listen to, and uh, the word I is used over and over and over. Here's what I think we should do, and here's what I said that we should uh, accomplish, and here's what I think. Diotrophy says, uh, as John's writing to the church, we're not going to listen to him Diotrephes is the one whose message has to go forth. It's the kind of person who's quick to teach but rarely listens. It's more about giving instruction than, seeking question, than asking questions. And I would just remind us as we're introduced to Diotrephes here and, and we see his self, self-exaltation to realize you and I still battle our flesh. We talked this morning wonderfully about Colossians 2 verse 15. At the cross, Christ spoiled principalities and powers, triumphing over them in it. Our enemy has been defeated. And Romans chapter 6 is going to tell us on that basis, reckon you yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. But we still do battle the old man. We still do battle the flesh. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, the very next chapter. And to realize we need to be on guard against the same kind of pride that we're going to see evidenced in Diotrephes here, to realize at the same time that pride deceives. Think, we're good. And to go, no, we need to take heed lest we fall. We look at this condemnation of self uh, selfish arrogance. We know first about Diotrephes. He's motivated by self-exaltation. I want people to see me. Our world, again, sees this as a virtue today, right? You need to promote yourself, advance yourself, put yourself out there. And yet, John is led by the Spirit of God saying, watch out for Diotrephes. I wrote to the church, but he has to have preeminence among them. So we continue to look at how Diotrephes' pride shows up. we come to the next phrase. Not only is he motivated by self-exaltation, secondly, he's marked by spiritual insubordination. He's marked by spiritual insubordination. It's not just that he has to have first, it's that he's going to push any other authority out. The text says, he receiveth us not. And when we first read that, we might be inclined to think, well, he's not hospitable, and that's true. But the text is pointing to a reality that is more than a matter of hospitality. Having pointed to his character and motive, his self-exalting self exalting John now points to his conduct or his manner in that he's spiritually insubordinate. The words, "receive us not, uh, point to the fact that he won't receive their message submissively. I wrote to the church, Diotrephes wants to be prominent and preeminent, and so he doesn't receive the message that, that was sent with them. He won't listen or submit to what they have to say. Stands out in my mind as we've been in Ecclesiastes, which also takes us to Proverbs frequently as well, that this is the opposite of wisdom. You know, humility, wisdom, listens to correction, listens to instruction. Right? We think of the common uh, phrase repeated in the book of Proverbs that a wise man will hear or will listen and increase in learning. To go, I, I want to take in, I want to learn. Diotrephes, we're told here, gets the letter from the church. He receives them not. He will not submit. Again, it reminds us that sin and pride blind us to our ability to receive instruction. We would be wise anytime someone comes to teach us, to confront us, to listen, to begin to process, not to immediately begin to self justify or to argue but to be on guard against the pride and arrogance that we see in the text here that shows up in an unwillingness to be taught. I think of it even in Jesus' instruction and Jesus' example. I mean, he's the one who teaches us that we are to be humble, to receive instruction, to be uh, the servant. In fact, we won't take the time to go there, but you go to Matthew chapter 20 and Luke chapter 22, and he talks about how the Gentiles exercise their leadership. They do put themselves out there. The unbelievers say they will be first. And it comes in the context of the disciples going, well, who's going to be first in the kingdom? And Jesus has to remind them, no, it's, it's different in his economy. Spiritual leadership under Jesus, whether you're in Matthew 20 and Luke 22, or even in 1 Peter chapter 5, when it comes to leadership within the church, isn't practiced by domineering authority, but instead by humble, submissive servant leadership. And yet, at the same time, I am reminded for all of us that spiritual leadership has a role to play in our lives. It did for Diotrephes in the text here. And it's one of those verses that at points is awkward, but you you think about the truth in Hebrews 13. I think the most I ever heard Hebrews 13 was growing up in Christian school. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. It's like, okay, well, I'm supposed to obey. And yet when I understand that text now, reading it as an adult, I realize that speaks to spiritual leadership in our lives. To go, you know what, there is a need for me to receive instruction, for us to receive instruction and place ourselves under spiritual leadership. Diotrophes is marked by an or, uh, there it is in my notes. Diotrephes is marked by an arrogance that says, I have to have first place, and he won't be taught. It's marked by spiritual insubordination. Third, as we continue to look at John's condemnation of Diotrephes, selfish arrogance, it is marked by a malicious communication. We've said it's motivated by self-exaltation, marked by spiritual insubordination. Third, marked by malicious communication. Wherefore, if I come, John says, I will remember his deeds. We already got to the end of the letter where he says, I am going to come. I wanted to write more, but I, I, I want to come. But here he says, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, particularly spelled out there at the end of verse 10, or uh, middle of verse 10 there, is prating against us with malicious words. He says, if I show up, I'm going to have to deal with what Diotrephes has both done and said. What does it mean when he says he's prating with us uh, with malicious words? The word prating simply means to disparage or to speak against. In order to hold the spotlight, Dotrophes is speaking out against John as an apostle and his God given spiritual leadership. The idea of prating against uh, carries the idea of vindicating oneself or making someone else look bad by making things up, over exaggerating, or only speaking negatively. Right? I think we, I hope we all have seen it in our lives. Uh, if we do, it's perhaps a danger. If we haven't, it perhaps is a danger where we, we begin to stack arguments in our mind. And then we go, "I'm right because," and I struggle to see this because, and we begin to slant every argument. Diotrephes is called out here. John says, "Look, I'm going to remember this man. He speaks against us. He pr- uh, is prating against us with malicious words. He's speaking disparagingly." He's not seeking to see things resolved, to see things, uh, growth occur. Instead, he's bent on promoting himself and his cause. Again, an issue for us each to guard against personally and also interpersonally. Kind of remind us, like, we can be the recipient of these things in gossip or slander and to go, no, I'm going to stay away from that. I meant to say this earlier, but there's such a contrast in the book. Gaius, Gaius, here's what I know about you. You walk in the truth. You act in love. And then to come over here, where we've just gotten into in verse 9, and to go, hey, here here's Diotrephes. I would encourage you to go so what does life look like for me? Could, could someone look and go, you know what? Um, you walk in the truth and you act in love. I know, it's faithful, it's reliable. Or would it be easier to say, well, no, actually, um, you do tend to want to be the center of attention. You tend to use your words for self-promotion and tearing others down. We continue looking at John's confrontation of diatrophy, selfish arrogance. We said it was motivated by self-exaltation, marked by spiritual insubordination, marked by malicious communication. And then fourth, we've already touched this a little bit already, but it's marked by inhospitable rejection. Marked by inhospitable rejection. He's not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Whereas when we came to Gaius earlier, he said, Gaius receives them, and in doing so, he's a fellow helper of the truth. Continue to do that. I know that I can bank on you. Diotrephi's reputation is the opposite. He's going to reject. He's not going to support He's not going to be a team player. He's not going to give any legitimacy or credence to John, his messenger, uh, or his messengers. At all costs, Diotrephes is the kind of person who's going to insist that you must see it my way. If you don't, you're removed from the church. Again, it's what bad spiritual leadership looks like. Diotrephes carries, sadly, that kind of influence and John says, if I come, I'm going to have to deal with this. There's no opportunity for disagreement. So we walk through, first, this commendation, reminding ourselves, here's who Gaius is, a man who selflessly serves. He walks in the truth. He acts in love. We're then introduced to kind of the counterpart, the opposite, to say, here's Diotrephes. Third, and finally, we come to a contrast in commanded action a contrast in commanded action. It begins with a simple exhortation or a simple command in verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. We've already made plenty of application along the way, but I would just note for us that what we see here is not just a matter of application or personal preference, it's a direct command. You've had two examples set in front of you, Gaius and Diotrephes. Says, Beloved, make sure you follow what's good. We've seen an example of someone who follows what's good, some, an example of someone who walks in the truth. And we've seen an example of someone who is self-centered, who has to be preeminent, who is conducting himself in an evil way. It's an admonishment to us to not get caught up in pride and self-promotion or corrupt communication, but instead to pursue what is good and what is right. As I was studying this week, I was reminded again that this is just typical John kind of language. It's been a long time since we were in 1 John. But you can go back to 1 John 1, into 1 John 2, into 1 John 3. We've seen it over and over. John is a very black and white, painted very clearly kind of individual, right? He helps us go, this is right, this is wrong. He says it so clearly here. Don't follow evil. Follow what is good because what is good comes from God, right? And what is not good does not come from God. It's that light darkness of First John chapter one. It is that you are either loving or you are hating. You're like whoa, 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 loving or hate Like isn't there like something kind of in the middle, like liking or not liking? And John's like, look, here's how it is. You either love or you don't, and you're either from God or you're not. Here, I mean kind of message that isn't real popular in a day when he starts to walk through and say, here's Gaius, here's Diotrephes. Now, beloved, make sure you're pursuing what is good. That's your command because that's from God. Anything else that's not good does not come from God. It's not his. He hath not seen God. John's bringing it to a a kind of a decisive point of personal consideration to say, whose side are you on? Where do you fall? John then goes in a direction that's helpful, but perhaps a bit uncomfortable as well. He gives an example. You move from this simple exhortation to a spiritual example. Like, it's probably, we're probably thankful that. John's not writing this letter to us about us because he just said, beloved, pursue what is good, right? Follow what is good. So now he gives us this example and says, Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. And yea, and we also bear record, and we know that our record is true. He's like, you need another good example. Here it is. Look at the life of Demetrius. Demetrius is someone who is marked by what is good. In other words, his life has been impacted by God's grace. My mind this morning in just my own time with the Lord was taking the book of Titus to think about the idea of grace. Like Titus 2, remember the grace of God that uh, bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness, uh, we should live soberly and righteously in this present world. So like God's grace has come up and how does that grace show up in my life and yours? The text over and over in Titus says it shows up in doing good, in doing good. And here John is saying pursue what is good, but here's an example of someone who has. Rather than living like Diotrephes is, look at Demetrius because he has this testimony. Again, it's a good challenge for us to consider for ourselves not so much because we want others to approve of us, but more so because we want to be uh, pleasing God, to go, God, I want to be known as someone who does what is good, what is right. He concludes in verses 13 and 14, we've already referenced, I have many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. I trust I shall, see, shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. Even in his closing thoughts, John's words are marked by brotherly love. I didn't have us go back and track it in the early part that was kind of review, but if you remember with me over and over, John addresses him as beloved, beloved, beloved. I think it's five times in the first couple of verses where he just speaks with an affectionate care for Gaius and other believers. And now we come to the end and He's he's not um, leaving off the last little details. He's like, by the way, the, the, our friends they're greeting you. Uh, they want you to know that, and so we want you to make sure that you go around and you greet others by name. I mean, we do similar things. I'm, you had that where it's like, hey, would you say hi to so and so for me? And uh, do you, do you remember to do that when you're asked? Like, hey, would, would you next time you see so, would you give him a hug for me? Would you shake your hand? Would, would you tell him I said hi? I'll admit my like, success rate on that is kind of low. But here, under inspiration of God, that's where John's letter ends, reminding us of this relationship that is dear between believers, marked by hospitality, to go, look, I am wishing wellness to your being, peace to you, and the friends that are here, they greet you. And so make sure that you go around and greet everybody else by their name as well. We walk away from this very short book with just a couple very simple commands in it. But in the midst of those commands, we're given some characters, some examples that ought to help us reflect on our own lives. To so look at a man like Gaius, who's commended for selfless service. Walks in the truth acts in love, then to encounter a man like Diotrephes who is absolutely concerned with promoting himself, advancing himself, rejecting any kind of authority over him, using his words to advance his cause because of his pride, to then just a very simple statement about an individual that we don't know a lot about, say, Demetrius, he does what's good. Now, you also follow what is good. Good reminders for us to live the truth, but to do it in kindness and love to others. Let's pray. Fathers, we've looked now across several months through the epistles of John. We've been challenged over and over and over again to balance truth with love. We recognize even from John's gospel that Jesus Christ did that perfectly for us in his time here on earth. But Lord, so often in our frailty, our humanity, we're prone to cling tightly to truth and to do it in a selfish way that isn't as loving towards people as it needs to be. Or on the other hand, to seek to care and begin to lower our standards as to what is true and right and what must be held to. Lord, I pray that you, by your grace, would give us a balance to cling to the truth and to do it in a way that demonstrates your love to others. We know that, really, there should be no tension between those two. Lord, I pray as we do that, we'd be on guard against pride, recognizing even the corrupting influence that we see in an individual's life, but also in a church as portrayed here in 3 John. Lord, we might be known for pursuing what is good because we know you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.